I wonder if I could respectfully ask the gentleman to get into the spirit of the proceedings here. I'll throw bandages at you while you guard the point. Great googly moogly. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're going to talk about stories. Yeah, we're going to tell some stories a little bit, but we're going to talk about storytelling. Now, this isn't going to be a lecture on how to write or how to craft stories. I'm going to touch on that a little bit, but I wanted to talk about stories because one of the things that I love most is playing story games. If you know me from my Twitch stream, you know I love story games. I love to tell stories anyway. I write. I tell stories here on Storytime. I like a good story, whether it's a funny story, a sad story, a melancholy story. I like stories. And so I wanted to talk about storytelling today because it's been on my mind based on the games that I've been playing. Recently, I've been playing The Last of Us 2, which is the sequel to the original The Last of Us. And we've talked about the story in that game quite a bit during the Twitch stream. But off stream, I also play a number of games. Overwatch, for instance, which is not a story game, but I still enjoy it and I'll tell you why. And I've also been playing Battlefield 2042. I've always liked the Battlefield games, and I'm going to talk to you about that as well. That's what's called a shooter, not a story game. But the story is important in that game too, and it's important in all of the Battlefield games. And we're going to explain why and how that impacts Battlefield 2042, at least in my opinion. Before I get to that, though, I want to talk about stories in general. I mean, I've loved stories all of my life. I was reading from an early age, and I always read above my age group, I guess is the best way to put it. I remember as a teenager, I was reading Agatha Christie novels, Alex Haley novels. I started reading Stephen King when I was like 18, 19 years old. And before I got to those, of course, I had all the preteen stuff, the three investigators, the Hardy Boys. I've talked about them in the past. I love those stories. But when I got to the older stuff by some of the more advanced writers, oh man, I really loved a good story. I like a book where you're just turning pages and you can't put it down. It's just so good. I mean, when I was reading Stephen King books, that original version of The Stand, which was several hundred pages long, I don't even remember how long it was, he reissued the book after he got famous and put in a whole bunch of stuff that was originally edited out by his editors at the time. So now the version of The Stand that's out there is over a thousand pages long, if I remember correctly. I've actually never read that version because the original version is the one that's in my head and I don't want to change my memories of that. But my point in talking about The Stand is that it's a good book, but it's a long book. But it's a page-turner of a book, for me. And it's because Stephen King, the way he wrote that book, he created a scene that was really interesting to me. He created characters that drew me in, that I was interested in. He created a great foundation for the story, and it made me interested, and that sucked me in. And those are really the elements of a good story. Story structure is important, and Stephen King is really good at that. But story structure can be broken down to three simple steps. The story begins, something happens, the story ends. So you have to have a beginning, a middle, and the end. You have to know where you're starting, you have to have a path to get there, and then you have to get there. And while you're on that journey, you want to have characters that people care about. You have to develop a hero and an antagonist, or more than one, in the case of Stephen King's The Stand. You want to have people that you care about that bring you into this story. From the beginning, through the middle, all the way to the end. Now, for those who don't know The Stand, it's a story about a post-apocalyptic world. Like so many of the video games that we play, it's about how people are, how they behave, how they act in a world that's been ravaged by a plague. 
Now, in the case of The Stand, Stephen King has several different character groups that he follows around throughout the book. He tells the stories of all the characters at different times throughout the development of the story. But you can tell who you're with. And he develops each of those characters in a way that makes you care. He talks about the good guys in detail. He talks about the bad guys in detail. And you develop a relationship with them. And you want to see what happens to them. That's how you get the audience invested. So he's got the characters. He's got the plot, the post-apocalyptic world. He sets a beautiful scene, whether it's the trip through the Lincoln Tunnel in the book, whether it's the way Las Vegas develops. And I'm not going to give you spoilers. If you haven't read the book, I recommend it. The stand is basically tied for my favorite Stephen King book. But he does a great job of setting the scene. You can relate to the world that he's created because of the job that he did setting the scene. So you've got a story. You've got characters you care about. You've got a scene that you can relate to, that you can understand, and you're engaged in what's happening to these people because of the way he presents it. And if you look at all of your favorite stories, it's going to be the same. Look at Star Wars. Star Wars is anything but real life. It's a science fiction western, basically. You got the good guys, you got the bad guys, you've got the scene set, you've got a rebellion against the evil empire, you've got the big bad guy, you've got the hero Luke, and as the characters are developed, whether it's Luke or Han or Leia or Darth Vader, you care about them, or at least what happens to them. And as they develop the story further, and you find out the relationship between people, you're even more invested because you care about these people. The storytelling applies to a sitcom, too. Look at the classic Friends. You have six characters in there. They're all developed. You care about them. The story is friends trying to navigate life. Now, a sitcom is not the same as a novel or a movie, but you still have to have the same elements there. You have to have a story. You have to have a setting. You have to have characters you care about. And you have to have the audience invested in the characters. When you've done that right, you've got the foundation for a really good story. That applies with equal importance to great video game story games. The best of the video game story games do all of that. They give you a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. They give you characters that you care about. That's determined partly by how they're written and partly by how they're voice acted. Voice acting is so important in a good video game. I've played story video games with bad voice acting, and boy, that can take you out of the game so quick. If you've just got a voice actor who's just going through the motions, reading lines instead of acting lines, it can really detract from the effectiveness of the storytelling in the game. I'm going to use the Uncharted series as an example. Nathan Drake is the hero of the Uncharted series, and we care about Nathan Drake. What's his story? Well, each of his games has a beginning, middle, and an end. We set up what Nathan Drake is going to go looking for. For those who don't know Nathan Drake, imagine a present-day Indiana Jones going into old ruins looking for old treasures. So that's the premise. You've got Nathan Drake going on an expedition. You got the setup for what the expedition is in the game. You got the middle part where he's doing all the exploring. And you've got the end where he either gets the treasure or gets away, or both. And you've got characters along the way who are developed very, very well. You get backstory through dialogue. You can see how they interact with each other. You got Drake and Sully, Drake and Elena, Drake and Chloe. They're all fleshed out characters. You get a feel for them. And you start to care about them. And you start to care so much that you want to keep playing the game to see what happens to them. Same thing with the Red Dead games. Same thing with Mass Effect. Mass Effect does this in such a great way. Whether your Commander Shepard is a male or a female, you can truly relate to Commander Shepard because of the way the character is developed. The scene in Mass Effect, you have to save the galaxy. That's your story. That's your premise. Each of the three games has basically the same premise. It's just that the stakes are increased in each of the games. 
And each of the characters you interact with, you care about. They have a personality. They have interests and likes and dislikes. They have backstories. You care about them. When you have characters that you care about, that you're interested in, it makes the game so much more fun to play and so much more interesting. And in my case, it makes the game replayable. As I've said in other episodes, I'm the kind of guy who will reread a book if I really like it. One of the reasons is I like to revisit the world that I enjoyed so much the first time. One of the other reasons is I like to see if I've missed anything the first time through. Because sometimes, if it's a good page turner, I might be rushing through to get to the end. And I might have skipped over some stuff or didn't fully appreciate it. And I've picked up things on a second or a third reading. But I like going back to that world in a book. And with certain games, I like going back to that world. I've played Mass Effect at least six times from beginning to end all three games. Some I've done for the stream, but some I've done for myself, because I just enjoy living in that world for at least a couple hours at a time. It's fun for me. It's like visiting old friends. And so when I look at my story games, I look at them kind of like I look at my favorite books, the books that I've reread. I like to revisit the characters. I like to revisit the world. I like to spend time there. Even though I know how the Uncharted games come out, there are things that I've forgotten along the way, and on replays I go, oh yeah, this was great. Same thing with Red Dead. I played that through a couple of times. On the Twitch stream right now, I'm playing Red Dead 2 for the second time. The campaign, that is, not the online. And I'm going to talk about the campaign and online in just a couple minutes, because that's important, too, in other games. And I'll explain why. But the campaign in Red Dead 2 is so deep, and I know that I missed so many things. But I like going back to revisit that world, because I like Arthur Morgan so much, and all of the people that he deals with. The character is so well-developed, it sucks me in. I want to see what he's going to say. I want to see what he's going to do. And when you have a game like Red Dead 2, where you have some choice in how you react to situations, it's even better. With Uncharted, it's more of a linear game. You don't really have choice. You just have to get through the storyline. But because they make it so interesting, you want to see what happens, even though your choices don't really matter because you don't really have any. With Red Dead, with Mass Effect, you have choices that do affect, if not the ultimate ending, at least how you interact with other people and how they react to you. And that adds a depth to storytelling that I really like. Now, The Last of Us was a great story game. Still is, of course. I don't mean to talk about it in the past tense like it doesn't exist anymore. If you haven't played The Last of Us, it's a great post-apocalyptic zombie-type story game. And the two main characters, Joel and Ellie, are really great characters. They really suck you in. You really care about them. You see their relationship develop. You see why it develops. You understand it. You get it. You appreciate it. You really like Joel. You really like Ellie. So by the time you get to the end of The Last of Us, you're really invested in what happens to these characters. You've encountered all kinds of horrible things, but you've persevered together. And it makes it a really entertaining story. Now, in The Last of Us 2, which I'm still playing, I'm not quite to the end yet, I'm almost there, so I'm not sure what the ultimate decisions are going to be and what the ultimate result is going to be, but I'm going to tell you, getting me into the game was a little more difficult this time. I jumped right into The Last of Us. The Last of Us 2, I jumped right into until I saw things happen. Now, before I go into too much detail, I'm going to alert you right now. I'm going to give you some spoilers about the plot as it develops in The Last of Us 2. So if you haven't played the game and you don't want spoilers, I'm going to suggest you skip ahead about, I'd say, four minutes. But I'm just going to talk about story structure and the way it was presented. And I've talked about this on the Twitch stream, so you may have heard this already. All right, so here we go. In The Last of Us 2, they introduce a character named Abby. 
We don't know anything about Abby at the time that she's introduced, except that she's working her way towards where Joel and Ellie live. We learn that Abby is hunting Joel, finds Joel, and kills Joel. And this happens within the first couple of hours of The Last of Us 2. Now, if you've played The Last of Us 1, Joel is the heart and soul of that game. And you can't help but develop a love for Joel. He's a great guy. He's got issues. He's got problems. He's not a knight in shining armor. He's done bad things. But we can understand the things that Joel has done. We might not agree with them, and we might not have done them, but we understand it. We care about Joel. So when you give us The Last of Us 2, which is what Naughty Dog did, you're expecting more time with Joel, the guy that you grew to love. Yes, you want more time with Ellie, too, because you grew to love her. But when you've got The Last of Us 2, you want to spend time with Joel and Ellie, because that's who you spent time with in the first game. But what Naughty Dog elected to do is they take a character who we don't know anything about, Abby, and we have her kill off the heart and soul of the first game within the first couple of hours of the gameplay of The Last of Us 2. So in essence, you've ripped out half of the heart and soul of The Last of Us 2 within the first couple of hours of gameplay. By doing that, you've created a villain. You've created Abby, who almost everybody hates. I say almost because I don't hate Abby. Abby has some issues, but I don't hate Abby. I like Abby. Abby's been through a lot. And as we come to find out by playing the game, Joel killed Abby's father, which is why Abby's bent on vengeance. So I can understand that. But I don't come to that understanding until I'm 15 or 20 hours into the game, at least. Depends on how quick you're playing. In my case, it's not particularly quick. Then what Naughty Dog does is halfway through the game, after you've been playing as Ellie, because that's all who's left from The Last of Us, halfway through the game, we switch perspectives, and now we're playing as Abby. And we play for a lot of hours as Abby. The problem with that from a storytelling perspective is we don't care about Abby. During this playthrough, this is when we learn that Joel killed her father. But up until that point, we don't really care because we're just pissed at Abby. So what the story does is it takes a villain, someone we despise, and now we have to play as that person we despise for hours. For me, it was a very difficult playthrough. I could see that they did a really good job developing Abby's story. But at the point that they chose to develop Abby's story, I didn't care. They lost me in the first two hours as far as any caring of Abby is concerned. And this is where storytelling and story structure is so important. If you present me with a character named Abby in The Last of Us World, before she ever runs into Joel, if I see Abby as a kid and I see her father has been killed by we don't know who, and we see Abby's journey, she's hell-bent on finding out who killed her father, and we track her journey, and we understand her motives for revenge, and we understand why she became the way she became. If we track her story so that we care about her, so that we're invested in her, so that we're engaged with what she is and how she came to be, and then you hit us with, she's been hunting Joel all along. Talk about a powerful twist and a meaningful turnaround and conflict in the reader, or in this case, the player. The conflict is there because you've brought us into Abby's world. You've shown us who she is. She's a troubled girl who lost her father to who knows who. And now it's revealed to us, oh my God, it's the hero that we love from the first game. God almighty, what a mess. Talk about some tension. Talk about a payoff. Talk about being engaged. Talk about bringing the audience in. If we care about Abby and then we find out that she's hunting our other favorite guy? Wow, what a story that would be. Now don't get me wrong. They did a great job telling Abby's story the way they did it. 
But I think they could have done so much better. They could have had people going, oh my God, what the hell is going to happen now? What do I do? Who's going to survive? What's going to... You can imagine. As I said, I haven't gotten to the end yet. I think I know where it's going, but they could surprise me. So we'll see. But I just wanted to talk about storytelling from that perspective. You can tell a great story, but tell it badly, which is what I think they did with Abby's story in Naughty Dog. They had a great story. They just didn't present it in the best possible way, at least in my opinion. I mentioned Overwatch at the beginning. Overwatch is a shooter. There is no story with Overwatch, except that there is. Because Blizzard, when they released Overwatch, also released little videos that went with it that developed the characters. So you got a sense of what the characters were about. You got a sense of what the world was about. And so even though Overwatch is basically a 10-minute shooter, every round is basically 10 minutes long, and then you can play another round, which is one of the nice things about Overwatch. You can get through rounds in 10 minutes or less. But you have an understanding of what the characters are, who the characters are especially if you've taken the time to watch the videos or read the comics. They did some great tie-ins so you could develop the characters in a game that has no campaign mode, so you don't have a chance to get into the world, really. You just kind of understand it, but you understand it enough that you care about the characters. And if you want to play as D.Va or Soldier 76 or Symmetra, you have an understanding of who they are and what they do. Now, of course, it's not an in-depth campaign. You're not going to relate to them on any kind of personal level like you might Joel or Ellie or Arthur Morgan. But you understand them. You connect to them. And so it makes the shooter fun to play. Now, that brings me to Battlefield. That's also a shooter. The latest version, Battlefield 2042, is pure shooter, no campaign. I've always objected to the shooters like Call of Duty and Battlefield eliminating the campaign because the campaign actually serves a couple of purposes. Number one, it gives you a chance to get familiar with the world in which the game is taking place. And that goes back to the very beginning of what I was talking about, the setting. Where's your story taking place? What's the scene? What's the beginning of my story? Now, a lot of people with shooters, they don't care. And I get that. You just want to get in and pull the trigger and shoot things. I get that. And I know shooters aren't made to appeal to guys like me. I like shooters. I enjoy going in, Team Deathmatch, Conquest, Breakthrough, Rush, whatever the mode. I like them. They're not my favorite, partly because I suck at them. I've talked about this before. My reaction time as I've gotten older has significantly slowed down. I'm really good at supplying bandages and ammo. Not so good at sniping or rushing the point. I can lie there and capture a flag really, really well, but don't count on me to shoot all the bad guys as they try to take the point from me. But I still like them. I like the team play. I like the squad play. Hell, I like to see myself get somewhere maybe in the top 15 on the scoreboard. But the thing about a shooter like Battlefield or Call of Duty, the campaign, as I said, gives you a sense of what the setting of the game is. They used to do that in Modern Warfare. They did that in Battlefield. Even Battlefield 5, which is set in World War II, they gave us little war stories. Same with Battlefield 1. They gave us World War I war stories. So we could relate to the setting and we could relate to some of the characters. We cared about the world. Even though none of us lived through World War I or the Second World War, we could relate. We understood it from history if we paid attention in school, and we understood it from the campaign, so we could relate to the setting. In Call of Duty Advanced Warfare and in Call of Duty Black Ops, they did that. They had campaign aspects to those games, so you could get into the world. In Battlefield 2042, they decided not to go with a campaign. And also in Battlefield 2042, they threw out a lot of the stuff that Battlefield was known for. They had specialist roles, the assault, the medic, the engineer, and the reconnaissance slash sniper role. 
Each of those roles had their own separate specialties and weapons that they could use. And you got used to playing that way. Going back to Battlefield 3, and as I talk about this, I realize Battlefield numbered their games really, really weird. We had Battlefield 2, then Battlefield 3, then Battlefield Hardline, then Battlefield 4. Then they went back to Battlefield 1 to signify World War 1. And then Battlefield 5, which is for World War 2. I know, it makes no sense. You'd think there'd be easier naming mechanisms than they used, but apparently they decided confusing was better than clarity. But I digress. Battlefield 2042 is set in the future, a futuristic world with futuristic weapons. The heroes, or the characters you play as, I guess, are called no-pats because they don't belong to any particular country. Battlefield put no campaign with this, so you don't understand really why there's no country. You have these specialists, but you don't know where they come from. They have a couple of blurbs to introduce some of the missions to give you a little bit of backstory, but no gamer that I know really wants to sit there and listen to a guy enunciate what's going on. We don't need verbal exposition. It's better if we can play it. Let me play in that world so I understand why we're where we are. They didn't do that. They still have those four categories that I mentioned, but there's nothing unique about the categories anymore. Anybody can do medical stuff. Anybody can do repair stuff. Anybody can do sniper stuff. There's nothing unique about the categories. They did introduce a class of specialists, and each of those has a special ability, but you can play as any specialist, and you can have as many of those specialists on a team as you want. By that I mean, if you favor Boris as your specialist, and I'm not going to break down all of the characters, that's not what this is about. Suffice it to say, you could have a team full of Boris, if you want. If everybody likes Boris, you could have 32 Borises on the field. But each of these specialists has a unique talent. But again, we don't know why. We don't know where they're from. We don't know how they develop the talent. We don't know why they're fighting. We don't know what they're fighting for. We don't care. The problem with Battlefield 2042, the game is good. The shooting is good. The maps are good. But we don't care. We're not invested in those characters. We're not invested in that setting. And what drove this home to me just happened this past weekend. They had done a patch for Battlefield 2042 because the game is broken in a lot of respects. And so I was unable to play Battlefield 2042. So I actually pulled out Battlefield 5 because I was in the mood for a shooter. So I pulled out Battlefield 5 and I started playing the way that I used to play. I hadn't played it really in a couple of years, so it was a bit of an exercise in muscle memory to recall how I used to play, but it came back pretty quick. It's like riding a bike. But I started playing Battlefield 5 and I realized this is fun. They had the same modes, Breakthrough, Rush, Conquest, but I was really getting into the battles more in Battlefield 5. I understood the stakes. Remember, it's the World War II setting, so you understand which side is which, who does what, who did what, and depending on how you play and what your side does, you can change the outcome of history. Not really, of course, but if you're getting into the story of the game, that's one of the things you're doing. My side didn't win the battle in World War II. This would change the outcome if they had done it this way. See, that's the way my mind works in a story game, and that's the way my mind works in a shooter. If they had done it this way, if they just asked me, but anyway, I sat down to figure out why I was enjoying Battlefield 5 more than I was enjoying Battlefield 2042. And it's because I cared about the world in Battlefield 5 more. I understood it. I understood the setting. I understood the characters. There was a campaign mode in Battlefield 5 that I played that I enjoyed. So I understood the scenes that we were acting out. I understood the locations that we were at. I cared more about Battlefield 5. Because the storytelling of the campaign and the world in which it was set meant something to me. And that's the difference. Now, I'm not saying that you need a campaign in every game. I'm not saying you need a campaign in every shooter. 
I mean, Overwatch is a perfect example of how you don't need a campaign at all and yet still have people care about their characters if you do it right. But you got to get people invested in the game world so that they care about playing in it. I think that's true for Battlefield 2042, and I think that's true for every game world that you're in. Whether it's Pac-Man, because you care about getting those little ghosts, or Space Invaders, because you gotta defend the home planet, or Mario Kart Racing, because you gotta beat Donkey Kong. Can't let that big monkey win. You care. And when the game makers make a game where you don't care about the setting, it makes the game a whole lot harder to sell, and it makes the game a whole lot harder to enjoy. No matter what you do to the mechanics, you can change the mechanics as long as people care about the game and care about the world in which it takes place. I am curious to see where we go with The Last of Us 2. I'm looking forward to getting to the end of the game, not because I want it to end. I do want to see how they wrap up the story. But I will tell you, I think it was a missed opportunity to present the game the way they did. But that's just me talking. What do I know? Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening. As always, I appreciate your support, and I appreciate all the time that you spend here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.